So good. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, uh, can you turn to Acts chapter 1? And Barney, last week we were able to pull Bible verses up on there. I don't know if you have the skills to do that. That would, that would serve us really well. That would be amazing. It would even help me, actually. <laughs> Uh, Acts chapter 1. Yeah, Acts 1 and verse 1. So if you've got it on your device or your book, we're just going to start reading it and maybe it'll appear on the screen. I'm going to read 1 to 8 and then we're going to go into chapter 2. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he'd chosen. He presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of of the earth. And just go with me to, <coughs> excuse me, we go to the next chapter, chapter 2, and verse 1. When the day of, the Pente- of Pentecost arrived, they're all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided, tongue- <coughs> and divided tongues of fire, as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and were bewildered. (laughs) Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not these men who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of them each, each, of, each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Edomites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? And others mocked, said, They're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. <laughs> I want to talk about the fruit of Jesus' apostolic ministry. Um, so I've been talking a little bit about what is apostolic, and, and I, 
I just felt that the Lord was just giving me some fresh insight about the ministry of Jesus. Now, we all know that he came to die on a cross and be raised again from the dead so that we could have a new life and a new level of encounter and relationship with our Heavenly Father and we could be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, all our sins forgiven, the power of sin broken, and we have eternal life. Hallelujah. Yeah, so that was the main reason he came, but it's the, the only thing he came to do. And we just read how he's interacting in Acts 1. He's interacting with his disciples. He's interacting with uh, those that had been with him for the three years of his ministry. And now in his resurrected form, he's, he's having a bit of a supernatural school with them, I think. He's, he's, doing, some, some, uh, he's doing some teaching. It says, through the Holy Spirit, he instructs them. And uh, it doesn't tell us what they're instructed in. Um, Sometimes when I've preached this, I've got to the point where they say, is it now or is this the time that you restore the kingdom to Israel? And I've made comments like, yeah, they didn't really get it yet, did they? Because they're still asking really slightly silly questions, yeah? Um, And through a certain lens, Jesus' earthly ministry can look like un- until chapter 2, to this point, his earthly ministry can look not overly fruitful. Yeah. All right, so here he is. He spent all this time with these, particularly these 12, now 11, and they still don't understand about the kingdom of God. Yeah? And actually, one of the things he's told them to do is preach the kingdom of God, demonstrate it, and declare the kingdom of God is at hand. You'd think they would understand a bit more about it by now. Are you following? So they're still asking a question, and he's saying, well, it's not really still not time to explain all that to you. (laughs) And then... If you read a bit further, you realize there's, there's just 120 of them. I mean, I know people who've planted churches and had more than 120 in three years. Do, do, do you see, see what I'm saying? So they didn't understand things we think they ought to understand. And for all the miracles and all the deliverances and all the teaching and the feeding the 5,000 and the big impact Jesus had had, and now he's resurrected. Actually, the people he can count on in an upper room is 120 people. It's not very big, is it? It's not a big church and they're not very smart, is what we could. Or Jesus hasn't taught them some of the things that we would expect them to know. I'm just, just, just stay with me on this. These are thoughts that I've had. Maybe you've not had them. And I've certainly articulated these when I've taught these passages and heard others articulate them. All right, And obviously it gets a lot rosier at the end of chapter 2, but, but the trouble is we can read too quickly on. Let's just stay here a moment. Jesus is resurrected from the dead, and he's got 120 people, and he's with his disciples, and it sounds like they're still not getting it. Um, now Jesus is an apostle. Hebrews 3 verse 1 tells us that he's an apostle, that he, he's the first apostle. Yeah. Um, 
And so he's been about, in his earthly years, his three years, he's been about an apostolic ministry. So his redemptive purpose, number one, planned. But he had an apostolic ministry to perform. He, had, he, he, had, he modeled something, but he had something to get done. All right? He had some people to prepare. He had a job to do with these guys that he picked. Remember, he chose these guys on purpose. Um, he, he, he read their CV and said, I'll have you. Um, Uh, but they seemed, so yeah, Hebrews 3 verse 1, they seemed to lack some of the things I would value and we would value. All right? They're not totally informed about the kingdom of God. And it becomes even more obvious as you read through Acts. They don't, not only do they not understand the kingdom, but they don't actually understand the nature of the new covenant. So they're really freaked out about non-Jews getting saved, they're all confused about what to do with the law, all of that stuff they really haven't grasped. Now whether Jesus didn't tell them or they didn't get it, the point is they didn't get it. So lots of things we would teach and think are important to understand, which covenant are you under, what's the nature of the kingdom, these guys didn't get it. After three years with Jesus, a 40-day Bible class or whatever he did with them, there in Acts chapter 1, they didn't have a level of knowledge and understanding we would think was basic. Yeah. I would think it was basic. You know, if I was sending someone to do church planting, I would want them trained in and fully aware of the nature of the kingdom and the covenant that they're actually in. That they knew they were new covenant believers would be really helpful. <laughs> now either... These guys were really, really stupid, and I'm not sure they were quite as daft as we think. Or Jesus hadn't put a lot of time and energy into imparting that kind of information to them. But whichever reason it is, something that we value highly is absent. And he thinks they're ready. And the second thing that we value highly is numbers. Like success equals numbers. Preparation equals lots of people. You know, momentum needs size and et cetera, et cetera. He, you know, Jesus, you have a plan to change the world. Surely you've come to save the world. 120 in three years is, it's, to be honest, it's no great shakes. But to us, it's important. You know, I know I've, I've looked after people who are planting churches. I mean, every week they're like, oh, we've only got 30. Oh, we've only got 25. You know, I've planted churches. Trees and I have planted churches. And the numbers thing, particularly at the beginning, is really right at the forefront of your brain. It's like, how many people are there this week? And I don't know, two cats, three dogs, a spider. You can't, everybody, babies, you're pregnant. That counts as two people. You know, it's just... Just anything, you know, we've got some people in the door, as it were, to make this feel like we actually have landed. We've got some, because we, we sort of get our significance and our sense of, uh, of God's in this from how many people are rocking up. Uh, 
They had 120 after three years of resurrection, miracles, incurable diseases healed, on and on and on, you know, demons walking on water. They still only had 120. I know there was, there was a lot of fear. I mean, the city had turned. Remember, they applauded Jesus. They, they, they shouted Hosanna and put their coats on the ground. And within a, a short period of time, they were shouting as one, crucify him, crucify him, and applauded the fact that he was beaten and nailed to a cross. This fickle city. All right? So at this point in the story, you could be unimpressed with our value system at Jesus' earthly apostolic ministry. I mean, you could be excited about all the miracles and like we really aspire to them. But his Bible school ability looks low to us. And his ability to gather a crowd who actually stick with it also is only moderately impressive to poor. <laughs> Considering he's the son of God and all. Are you tracking with me? I don't know if any of you ever thought like this, but this is the kind of grid yeah. that Westerners bring to this. Yeah. I'm just being honest. This is the kind of grid that I brought to it. I've heard other Bible teachers bring this kind of grid to this. Now, they would not go as far as saying what I'm saying, which is why well, it doesn't look like he did a great job, because that's like, oh, it was Jesus. But I'm just saying what, what other people wouldn't say, but they might think it. Then, now add to that Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, by any account, to our value system, is full-on weird. Now, because we have the benefit, we've read it over and over, and we kind of look sort of semi-objectively at these pages, and we know the outcomes, we can can have this slightly kind of aloof look at it, and, and we think, yeah, of course, it's the Holy Spirit. Just hold the pause button for a second. I've thought about this. I've looked. There is is no Old Testament pointers that it would look like this. This hadn't happened before like this. All right, so you're, if you could try and sort of step out of this, uh, we can, we've read the whole story, into, you're walking into the story completely blind. You know you've been promised the Holy Spirit. There's 120 of you, you're praying. I mean, they're so not into this that they're still tossing up to decide who to have as the 12th apostle. They actually draw lots. It's like, this is, this is their mindset as they are. So they're walking into this and they're all in this room and they're praying. And what starts to happen is there is a sound like a mighty rushing wind. That's what it is. It isn't a rushing wind, but it's a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Fire appears to them. And then they start to babble in languages that they haven't heard, and start to take on behaviors that look like loads of drunken people. A 
Okay, so you're walking, just imagine for a minute you're walking into this meeting. Stone cold sober, all right? Stone cold like you're walking into this meeting and suddenly you hear this noise like a, like, like a, a violently blowing wind. And then, and then, and then you see fire. You're like, where's the fire? You know, Westerns, we'd be looking for where the fire was coming from. We'd be checking that there was no mysterious flamethrowers or some other gas escape or something. We'd be thinking maybe we should get out of here because there could be a gas explosion or something. And then we'd hear them all babbling and behaving drunk and we'd think these people are weird. I'm just trying to be honest. If this happened in most churches in the West in the 21st century, the church would split. And everybody going, where's the Bible verses for this? There aren't any. I mean, there are promises of the Spirit coming, but it doesn't tell you what it's going to look and feel like for the people who are there when he rocked up. Jesus, help us. Well, I think he already had. I'd like to suggest to you that the major fruit of Jesus' earthly apostolic ministry was to produce a group of people that could successfully receive the Spirit when he was poured out in fullness. They may not have been the best informed people, but for what was about to happen to them, they were the best prepared. Are you, are you tracking with me here? A lot of stuff I think and you think they ought to know, they probably didn't know, but they knew something they really needed to know. See, many churches would split over this. Many Christians would have been afraid of what happened. Many Christians would have been running for Bible verses. Many Christians would have, would have moved to the edge of the room or, 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 or vanished from the meeting because it was too crazy, it didn't fit in their box. It's, I'm, I'm talking Western Christians now. Am I talking to, are you alive? Is this making any sense to you? Do you know what I'm actually talking about here? Honestly, I've been, we've, been, we've all been places, we've been there personally where God's shown up in a, in a weird way and we're like, ooh, is that in the Bible? Or... Is this God? We, we take like three months to figure out whether it's God or not. And some people already, some people judge it in a moment and they're gone. Because it's weird and they can't explain it. And, da, 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 and how many times I've heard that? Well, is this weird? Where is it in the Bible? Da, da, da. Are, you, are you really alive? Honestly, you're just kind of looking. Okay, just checking. But this group, this 120, as a man, they were in unity, in one place, and it included all the women, which is also actually another remarkable thing. That was a culturally, cultural breakthrough there. This group 
received what God was doing unquestioningly. It didn't split them. Nobody absented themselves from the room. It says they stood together. There was no division. There was no exits. And they called it. And they called it right. Peter stood up with the eleven. He said, this is that. This is the fruit of Jesus' apostolic ministry. A group of people that can recognize God when he comes. And they're not scared. And they don't divide and they don't fight. They know what presence looks and feels like. And they welcome it strongly and clearly enough that they can call it to the nation. Well, actually, to the nations, the nations have gathered in this room, to this sound, in this place, to this sound. They lacked any fear of this God invasion. They didn't take weeks to ponder whether it was authentic in nature. What was the source of the manifestations? And they called it so well that Peter said, basically, this is the beginning of the last days. He quoted Joel and said, this is what Joel said, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit. You see, Jesus may not have given them a great theological background in the new covenant and the doctrines of the kingdom. But he had trained them well to recognize the Holy Spirit. That's what this tells us, isn't it? Things they lack that we think are important, they didn't have. But something that we don't value as much, they had in spades. And that was an ability to know when God showed up, however it looked like. And not be freaked by it. And not suddenly retreat into our little camps about what we think is God and what isn't God. He'd managed to communicate to a group of people that this is what God feels like, looks like when he comes. And you you can congregate around this, not divide around it. He trained them to recognize the Spirit. John fourteen seventeen. He says this, Even the Spirit of truth, who the world cannot receive, is coming to you. But because <coughs> the world cannot receive him because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. They spent three years hanging around with Jesus, knowing the Holy Spirit was with them. He's saying, you know him because he's with you, but he's going to be in you. He trained them to recognize the Spirit, so when the Spirit showed up, they knew it was him straight away. They weren't put off by the paraphernalia, the manifestations, the phenomena. They knew. He trained them really, really well. And secondly, he trained them not to react in fear when the supernatural invaded the natural. When the unexplainable invaded the rational world. When heaven came to earth, he trained them not to all go, ah! <laughs> Which, you know, sometimes we do, don't we? We don't do it that on the outside, but on the inside we go, ah! 
around all around me. People looking drunk. There's fire on someone's head. How did he learn to speak Mesopotamian? There's no Mesopotamian language school that Peter ever went to, for goodness sake. He's a fisherman. And he's staggering a little. Man, what time is it? I never knew you had a secret habit. He trained them not to be afraid when the supernatural happened. It was one of his favorite phrases to the apostles, wasn't it? Fear not. (laughs) Why did he say it? Because they were afraid. He comes to them walking on the water, defying all the laws of physics and gravity, and they're like, ah, it's a ghost. (laughs) He says, don't be afraid, it's me. So he's learning them to discern the right spirit. It's not a ghost. It's not a demon. This is Holy Spirit power operating. Yeah? He's training them. Right there. They're in a stormy boat and they're like, he's asleep. And the storm is there and he's asleep. How are you sleeping in this kind of... And he's asleep. And they're like... And they're fishermen, some of them. They're like, don't you know we're going to drown? It's like... Calm down, calm down. Peace, be still. Uh, this man full of a legion of demons comes running at Jesus. And they're like, I bet they all, look, uh, I bet they all stood with Jesus, but they all stood behind Jesus. <laughs> like, Here he comes. <laughs> We're with you, Jesus. <laughs> We're right behind you. <laughs> you know, and he's resurrected. And they're, they're inside this room with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. And then Jesus walks through the wall. Peace, be still, he says. Fear not. I mean, it was a roller coaster, nerve jangling ride with Jesus. <laughs> Lord, we should send the 5,000 to get some food. Send them to Tesco's and Asda. Peter, you feed them. <laughs> That's one of those jokes you got off the internet, isn't it, Jesus? That would, you feed them. No, no, you do it. I mean, every day, there was some mind-bending, fear-creating event. The unexplainable invading their life. Like, I need to pay my taxes. Go fish. (laughs) Ah! Ah! Talk about living outside the box. How uncomfortable is it to every day have your box ripped to little pieces? But he taught them something. When heaven invaded earth, they weren't afraid. When something weird happened, they were like, 
cool, this is God. We know weird now. <laughs> we do weird for breakfast, dinner, and tea. We've been doing it for three years. This is easy meat for us. Come on, give us the flames, give us the tongues, give us the wind. We know what this is about. This is heaven coming to earth, and we're up for it. I haven't got a scooby about a doctrine of the kingdom, but that doesn't matter. It didn't matter to them, didn't matter to heaven, and didn't matter to Jesus as much as it matters to us. I'm not saying it's unimportant, but for the purposes of this moment, it was not the highest thing, thing they needed to qualify for this invasion. Didn't need a lot of people, didn't need a lot of information. They did need to know Holy Spirit and be able to go... In an instant, this is it. This is him. If this happened in 99% of the churches I have been in or I'm aware of, it would, people would be scared. At the bare minimum. Some would not come back next week. Are you happy yet? Now, what some of us miss is when the Spirit came on them, it changed the atmosphere on them. The Spirit didn't come on the city, it came on the church, it came on the 120 in the upper room. All right, they heard the sound, but the sound was going in a one direction only, and it was on these 120 in the upper room. Yeah? yeah? So they all get curious and they all show up. And the people that be going, crucify them, are then going, eh? And 3,000 get saved in one day. The atmosphere shifted, the attitudes changed. Those that had hated the Lord suddenly fell in love with the Lord. Those that had cheered as they decided that they were going to crucify him now repented that they'd even cheered. In a day, boom, like that. Whole city shifts. And it, can, it continues. So 3,000 that day, it quickly escalates as you read the early chapters of Acts. And if you read Acts carefully, every city these guys go to, something like that happens. They kind of don't go and plant churches. It's funny when Julian was here prophesying, he says, actually there's no command to plant churches in the Bible. It's actually true. They just went with the presence of God and cities, some were filled with joy, it says in Acts chapter 8. But it says the, it, the city was full of joy. It's deliberate. It's his city impacting because of the presence of God on an, a, a believing individual or individuals. In Ephesus, the city was in uproar. The city, these are the phrases. The city was in uproar. See, the presence of God on an individual or on individuals is meant to turn cities upside down. That's what they started to say of the apostles. Those that have turned the world upside down have come here as well. Oh, heck, it's kind of the unwritten bit in the text, really. 
are you seeing a pattern here? See, sometimes I think we don't read, we read the Bible that's already in our head rather than the one that the Holy Spirit wrote. John 16 says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage, this is Jesus speaking, your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning of sin and righteousness and judgment, etc., etc. Who does he send the Spirit to? Who does he send the Spirit to? To us. It's not a trick question. It's in the text. Who does he send the Spirit to? He says, I'm going to send the Spirit to you, the believers. Who gets convicted of sin and righteousness and judgment? It's not a trick question. What does it say in the text? Who gets convicted of sin and righteousness and judgment? The world. To whom is the Spirit sent? To us. Holy Spirit sent to the believers. And the world is convicted of sin and righteousness and judgment. That's what he said in John 16. Fast forward to Acts chapter 2. Holy Spirit rocks up on 120 people. 3,000 people are convicted of their sin. Holy Spirit's on Philip the Evangelist. He goes to Samaria and joy comes to the city. Many are saved, many are healed. Ephesus, Paul with his team. city is in uproar. I want to propose to you that Jesus' apostolic ministry was fulfilled in the 120. That he prepared a people who could handle and host an invasion of heaven. And not reject it, not, not get fearful of it, and not divide over it. Because he knew that when the Spirit came to them, the world would be convicted and would change. I'd like to propose to you that a major thing that is happening with us is that God is making us a people who He can invade how He wants to invade and it won't divide us, it won't make us fearful so that He can inhabit us so that they will believe. He's looking for church and churches that he can thoroughly invade with himself. This is Jesus' technique for winning the planet, invading the church. There needs to be lots more churches that are up for this.
Because he said way, way back, it's not by might or by power, but by... Go on, say it for me. Not by might nor by power, but by my... Says the Lord. It's not by human resources, not by... in. It's by the Spirit. A major job of the apostolic is to train people to recognize and host the invasion of the Spirit of God. Because that will change the planet. Because that's what heaven coming to earth looks like. It's having more of him in us, on us, around us and with us. So that when we walk into Marks and Spencer's people have hour-long encounters with him. It's and on, 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 on. Or just him being here powerfully and strongly will affect this community. And stories in revivals past are full of those kind of stories where God's in the church and people are falling down convicted in the hedgerows. That's the story in the Hebridean revival. This isn't, this isn't like, wow, this is an amazingly new truth. No, this is how it's always worked. Sometimes we just didn't notice. So we just need to get better and better and better as a community and the communities encourage those that we know in church to be great at recognizing the Spirit of God being hungry for an invasion of the Spirit of God and running with it when it happens. And then the world will say, it will get saved. They just will. It's impossible not to because heaven has invaded earth. <laughs> and it's invaded earth by invading you and me corporately. So Father, thanks. You have a great plan. <laughs> it's not one I would have come up with. <laughs> um, I'd have put them through Bible school at least twice. <laughs> um, you just scared them quite a lot. <laughs> so if you've ever been scared in this church, that's a good thing, okay? As long as it was scared because God was doing something you maybe weren't sure about. So Father... Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for who you are. Thank you. You're teaching us to recognize your flavor and, and your presence and being able to quickly say, this is you. This is you. This is him. Even, even when we don't understand it, we, we're going to be able to recognize your presence and step in and enjoy and enter in to all you're calling us to do. Ah, oh, thank you, Father. Thank you so much.